Yo, yo, it's the one and only Sad G, Ultramagnetic, telling y'all to stay informed, stay in contact. Way to do that is Insomniac Magazine. Y'all know what y'all gotta do. I- Hello, my name is Israel. I've been involved in hip hop since the 1980s as an artist, producer, radio show host, journalist, documentarian, magazine editor, hip hop advocate, and pundit. Over the years, I've interviewed hundreds of interesting people in music, media, and more. Welcome to Sounds from the Underground, the podcast from Insomniac Magazine, where we learn from both those who reside below the surface and those who've breached it. Cedric Miller, a.k.a. Said G, entered the hip-hop game decades ahead of his time. As a member of one of the most groundbreaking groups in the genre's golden era, Ultramagnetic MCs, he did double duty as MC and producer. Beyond creating classic tracks with Ultra, he also crafted multiple songs on Criminal Minded. The iconic debut album from another of hip-hop's most influential and revered groups, Boogie Down Productions. If that weren't enough, said also produced the gold-selling track Fuck Compton by the late great Tim Dog. In this interview, said shares insight into his career, favorite gear, and much more. Don't sleep on this discussion with a true hip-hop legend, the incredible said G. Somebody would have told you back in the 80s that 37 years later you still be in the mix. Would you have said, oh, of course I know that, or would you be surprised? I would be more surprised at what the industry has become. Yeah. As opposed to being in it. Right, right. So in what ways, what do you think is some of the biggest surprises about where we are today? Well, if you were to tell me that uh, record labels are no longer predominant, mm. you know, it's, uh, radio is not the head means of, you know, promoting a record. Mm-hmm. You know, just things that were like a given. Right. You know, and the uh, music, video, television won't exist anymore. Things like that was just, you know. Not to mention, you know, if you think about back in the day, the, you know, like you said, labels, radio, and TV were the ultimate gatekeepers. And in so many ways, yeah. all those three things everyone has access to, right? Yeah. Like, they still play a role, but it's not like it used to be where they, you know, like now you have kids who predominantly make it through YouTube. Right. So it's like they're not the uh, end-all and be-all anymore. That's right. That's right. Then, like I said, it affected television because now all the shows that the labels used to sponsor, you know, the Soul Trains, the mm-hmm. American Bandstand type things, anything music-related to record companies don't have money to support them anymore. Especially that's why, that's why all the MTV and... BET, they all changed their format. They weren't getting the support they normally get from those establishments. Indeed. 
So, man, in so many ways, you were a trailblazer in hip-hop. I mean, besides the fact, obviously, that you got in the game during the golden era, uh, you know, obviously also Ultramagnetic, as everybody knows, were so groundbreaking, you know, even during a time where almost everybody was groundbreaking. But on top of that, you were both like killing it on the on the rhyme tip and also the production tip. Which one came first for you? Production. Production. Yeah. And obviously everyone knows, you know, that you mastered the SB12 early on. Was it the SB12 or the SB1200? Oh, uh, the 12. The 12, right. Was that the one with the floppy? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I, um, I still got a, I still have a bag of those. Wow, yeah. Yeah. What was your first drum machine though? Uh a Dr. Boss. It was mm. called Dr. Rhythm. I remember those. Those were the real yeah, little were, ones, right? Yeah, and they were funky. Yeah. Yeah. But you couldn't you know, you couldn't save nothing. Mm-hmm. Couldn't midi it. You know, couldn't need it, nothing. It was like, what you got, got to lay it down. Right. And did you ever record anything that was released using a, uh, using that machine? Eventually, uh, on one of the Iron Future basement tapes, got to make you shake. Is that the one that uh, Tough City put out? Yeah. And what would you go to? What was your next level after the, the uh, Dr. Rhythm? Uh, after that, I, I didn't find any drum machines interesting, so I... We had none until the SB12 came out. Wow. I mean, that's that's a serious jump, right? Like, that's like warp speed going from something like a basic, like a Dr. Rhythm to the SB12 that kind of let you use every and any sound that you wanted to. Yeah. Do you remember the first song you produced on that? Uh, the first song we did was uh, Eagle Tripping. What? Yeah. Wow, that's now that is insanity. Like the first song you cranked out was like one of hip hop's ultimate classics. Actually, it was uh not my SB12 that we used. We used the studios. Mm-hmm. That was the first song with the SB12. Right. Yeah. So thinking back on those days, man, what what's your record? What's your overall vibe? I mean, to me, I'm from the Bronx, as you probably know. And I'm, uh, I would imagine I'm in the same age range as you. To me, those days seem like like magic. What, what do you? What was? What, what's your thought on on that era? Well, see, that's another thing. Like I'm saying about being surprised about how now that, like you said, there's so much access to it. That's why the magic's gone. It's mm. no longer special. Right. You buy an Apple, you have a studio program. Mm. You can, so it's not special anymore. Right. It's not a big investment anymore. Mm-hmm. It's not something you really have to believe in yourself. It's just now it's a tool and you can go in and try things, post it. And, so it's not special. That's why like uh, the magazines really couldn't really exist at the level they used to because it used to be you had new, fresh talent every two to three months. Mm-hmm. Now we've been basically sitting on the same top dogs for the last 10, 15 years. Right. It's the same people. Right. Sp- sprinkling with a new guy every now and then. They usually 
you know, like if Freddie Ropper comes and he leaves, you, mm-hmm. and you had a new one with, with uh, Cardi B, she mm-hmm. seemed like she's staying. Mm-hmm. You know, Migos. Mm-hmm. It, you know, but basically it's still the same people. True, true. And so many of the same sounds, too, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's not special anymore. Mm-hmm. It's just, this is it. And you have that top tier, and it's, nobody breaks into it. Right. And the only reason why I really believe Cardi B is because there was really, you know, like there's not a lot of female people. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. there was always room for somebody new. True. So tell me a little bit about your your favorite places back in the day to pick up vinyl. Uh, you had, uh, uh, I can't remember the name of that store. It was on 42nd Street. Um. Was it the one with My Stan? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why am I drawing a blank, too? <laughs> That's going to hit me later, though. The big dude. Yeah, yeah he was he used to go in there, and you could just talk for right. hours, man. He knew a lot of the joints you was looking for. Right, right. Then you had uh, Downstairs Records mm-hmm. and Rock and Soul. Right. So that's gone too. I mean, that's the other part of the magic, right? Like being able to go into this place that has, you know, these gems and like dig and discover. Yeah. Everything is gone. Like, you know, the the appreciation for a good cover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some people used to buy an album because they like cover. Right, right. True. That stuff is gone because they just download it. You know? Mm-hmm. True. No more, uh, no more. You know, you should walk into people's houses. They have posters up. There's no more posters. True, true. Everything is contained in the in, in the, uh, the device. Right. So how do you how do you keep excited about music today, man? What's your motivation? Well, it's just music, period. Yeah. Music, music, man. You know, good groove will hit you. Mm-hmm. So speaking about about Groove, I mean, you have been involved in the production of probably some of the most iconic hip hop coming from that golden era and even beyond. What would you say is was your favorite project that you produced or helped produce? It's really no favorite, to be honest. Because, you know, you basically do the same thing on every project. Was there one that maybe behind the scenes you had specific fond memories of making that record? Uh, in terms of just the overall project, I would say it would have been the Four Horsemen album. Mm. The way the deal was structured with Wild Pitch. It was the closest thing to the next plateau and uh, B-Boy records where you know, the label basically stayed out of what you were doing mm. and let you do it. Right, right. So it was, it was, it had that effect like that, but the deal was better than at that time when we was doing critical and, and, you know, DDP, you know, it was different. The deal was better. The deal was better with Wild Pitch, you're saying? 
Yeah. You know, one thing that, and I, I know I've spoken in the past to Keith about this, one thing about Ultramagnetic is that obviously you folks have this, this place in hip-hop history. However, I think for many, probably for one reason, you know, your names aren't as, I don't know, they're not as household for the average hip-hop consumer, and I think that's yeah. because of the labels, right? Yeah, like our, uh, it's like the the build up, and the, you know what we had a, a mass was our worst enemy. Mm. Explain that. Like a, a label will sign us, mm-hmm. and they will say we don't need to spend money promoting. Mm-hmm. We can we know if we ship this many units. Mm-hmm. Made our money and then some, right? So that's what they should do. They should just like they can count on that first shipment, mm-hmm. eighty five thousand, right? You know, and when you know the first shipment is eighty five thousand, and the label selling the product anywhere from twelve to fifteen dollars, and you're only giving the artist ten cent, mm-hmm. and then the ten cent is being <laughs> recouped mm-hmm. on the event. Mm-hmm. You, you're well ahead of the game. Wow. Do you think that back in that time frame, really the only label that was kind of, I don't know, maybe financially worth signing to as a, a as an artist was Def Jam or am I off on that? Def Jam or Jive. Mm, that's right. That's right. Jive, see, Def Jam was better than Jive because you kept some of your publishing. Mm. Jive, the reason why Jive promoted all of their artists so heavy was because Jive was keeping all the publishing. Interesting. So, like, once again, they had nothing to lose. They right. was they was keeping, like, the, you know, damn near all of that $12, $15. Right, right. They was just giving the artists, you know, the, the 10 cent, you know, the 10 points. Mm. The 10 cents. They got 10 cents off of that. Fifteen, ten, fifteen dollars. They got a dime. That's why. That's why you had so many successful acts on Jive. That's why all Kelly had restructured his deal. Teddy stopped. Teddy Riley stopped dealing with them for that reason. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, do you think if we would be in a different? I don't know. The stature of Ultramagnetic would would have would have been totally different if you guys would have been on Jive simply because they would have done spend more money on promotions or or Def Jam. Yeah, yeah. Well when we were signed with Def Jam, uh they were trying to get Mercury to release us and mm-hmm. sign us, but Mercury wouldn't uh wouldn't do it. Mm. Mercury was the funniest out of all the people. How's that? Because we uh, eventually we did get them to uh, release us, mm-hmm. but we had to do some drastic things, like not show up to stuff. You mean to kind of get dropped? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. Mm-mm. That's a shame. Throw out some insults, you know. Wow. So I don't know if it was one of the best kept secrets in hip hop. You tell me, but it seems to me that one of the best kept secrets in my opinion and obviously this is something that we've learned more about in recent years is that you had produced 
a good majority of criminal minded. Do you think that was that's the case? Like one of the best kept secrets, and and if if so, why? Why was that really something people didn't know? Well, it was kind of my fault because like uh, Scott kept telling me to stay on top of the uh, the guy who was running that label mm-hmm. with him. He was like, I know him. He's going to try not to pay you. Mm. And I was like, nah, he said everything is good. Everything is good. And then when the album came out, it was like you talk about something funny. It didn't make sense. It was like produced by Boogie Down Production mm-hmm. Special. Special thanks to Sergi. Mm-hmm. Like, what is that? You know, there's a shout out. <laughs> then, you know, the special thanks goes in the shout out. Mm-hmm. That was that's why I was hitting. You know, I don't know if you know this. I was signed to B Boy around that time. Actually, uh, Scott was the one that sent me down there, and and I yeah. didn't know. I had no clue until, to be honest, until more recent years that you had produced. A bunch of those tr- classic tracks, man. Mm-hmm. I did a few things over there. I did some more things over there besides besides just them. Which ones? I can't remember most of the groups. You know, I did something with, uh, damn, what's this guy's? I can't remember the names of the groups. Um, okay, so they had, uh, obviously they had KG the All for a moment from, from Cold Crush. Yeah, I did something with him. They had this other dude named KG... Big dude, I can't remember what he went by. Yeah, I did. I did. I did that wow. one. Wow. <laughs> they had this dude, I think, from North Carolina, Waxmaster Tory, was it? Yeah, I didn't do nothing with him. They had, man, and I can't remember. Uh, I know they had Sparky D for a moment, but they had another female rapper whose name is Escape. Oh, Five Star Moet. Yeah, I did stuff for her. Too. What? <laughs> wow, man. Keyboard Money Mike did most right. of the stuff. Okay, uh, okay. Keyboard buddy Mike had showed me why my beats, when I first got the SP-12, why they was off a little bit because of the truncation. He showed me how to do it better. Mm. But the person who mastered truncation on that machine was Paul C. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he showed me how to truncate fast. Wow. Yeah. And I mastered the stuff that wasn't in the manual. Yeah. So. Now, the other foray that you had into a genre of music that uh, wasn't hip-hop was, I don't know, would you say like club and dance, like with Sybil? Yeah. How'd that come about? Because uh, with a uh, uh, Next Plateau, mm-hmm. I had to do a few things besides Sybil. I did something with internet. Mm. Uh, Eddie was trying to get me to do something with salt and pepper, but you know, Herbie wanted, wanted to keep all that publishing, so and he had the money, so that didn't happen. But you know, group I signed from Detroit over there next to so. mm. yeah, MF 911. Mm. It put out a single, and uh, it was a group's management that he had to drop them because they went crazy. Mm. So, now, the other monster record, I would imagine, now you feel free to correct me, that might, it, it, it might be the biggest record that you produce was Funk Compton, right? Yeah. That, was, that, that went gold? Yeah. Tell me about that. How that come about? I know Tim was part of the fan forever. Yeah, see, that came about from uh, a guy who was A&R over at uh, Sony. And, you know, he was also Sony, you know, Rough House was a division. Sony. Mm-hmm. 
So I guess they had put out the word that they was looking for a hardcore rapper to diss the West Coast. Mm-hmm. So I had to do some songs with Tim that mm-hmm. I was shopping. And when I went into uh, to uh, Sony, mm-hmm. Kurt Woodley was the name of the A&R. And he said... He had told me to bring in something from for Tim because, you know, we had him on the chorus line. Mm-hmm. So when I brought in the stuff, he said, oh, that's cool. But I tell you, I get you a deal right away and I can even get you a demo budget mm-hmm. if you take Tim, put him back on a beat like chorus line mm-hmm. and have him just the West Coast. Right, right. That's how that came about. Mm. So it was Kurt Woodley's idea. Interesting. And, you know, then Tim delivered with the rhymes and mm-hmm. I did the music. And would you say that was your most lucrative project? Uh, kind of, yeah. But kind of, but believe it or not, like I said, that Wild Pitch deal, mm. he actually financially, you know, gave us a lot. Yeah, so that was like, and then, you know, we ran the administration of it. Mm. So, so it was like that was that's why I said that was like the best overall right. situation. So, man, so you've had so many connections to not only really important records, but also most of the significant hip-hop labels uh, throughout the yeah. 80s and the 90s, did, but you, you never, and correct me if I'm wrong, you never actually signed, outside of Ultra, you never signed directly as said G, an, an artist, right? Yes, I did. Oh, you did? Tell me about that. It was a label, it was actually a label called 321. Hmm. And... It was actually, to be honest, that was the best deal I ever signed because I had, with my attorney, we had secured a promotion budget mm. for, the sing- for the first single. Right. And then the label lost their distribution deal. Oh, so no. What year was that? As a whole. Uh, that was, I'll say, it was early 2000s. It was it was ninety it was ninety nine yeah ninety nine two thousand yeah obviously you are an amazing producer you are a Thanks. talented artist tell me a little bit about how you've occupied your time man over the span between these different projects I mean uh, another pioneer from the Cold Crush Brothers mm-hmm. Easy AD we've been putting together this program. You know, that includes, you know, music, mm-hmm. but, you know, it encompasses health, mm. uh, you know, uh, entrepreneur teachings, morality, you know, things that, all the things that are missing mm. in our society. So right. You could say, you know, it's like an uplifting for humanity project. Nice. What's that called? Uh, we call it the faction Hmm. So where could we learn more about that? This has been years because, once again, the business has to be set up a certain way. Mm-hmm. And the way I'm 
setting it up, it takes a long time. Right, right. You know, there's channels that don't want you to operate like this. It's totally legal and lawful. Mm-hmm. So, so they know it and they try to discourage you. So, you know, you just have to cut through the red tape, keep cutting. Right. So it's just about done. It's going to be something never done before. Very nice, man. Looking forward to learning about that. Before all this crazy uh, virus stuff, you, you've you been keeping busy uh, touring, doing shows. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to uh, to do shows at? Any country in particular? Uh, it has to be London. Yeah. Well, London, there's still an element where they want to see what you can do other than just your record. And they appreciate, that's why they love, like, Abu, uh, Chris, you know, they they love the artists who do, you know, they love them regularly, but the artists who always gave them more, they just love them at another level. Right. Like, uh, uh, our old road manager, who toured London with Run DMC and LL. Who's that? Said, it's Dice. Okay. It was Sugar Dice. Mm. He said they didn't get that kind of love out there. People loved them. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they hated them, but right. they didn't get, you know, in London, when you give them that extra, they give you extra. And that's why they love, like I said, with Chris, because Chris goes out there, you know, it is, you know, they love, like I said, it's not that they don't like the artists. You know, they come, but for the artists they love, they can, like, basically, you know, we can just go and book our own thing out there. And it's, and it's big. So what would you say is is the biggest misconception about said G? What, what do you think it is people don't understand or maybe got wrong about you? I'll be honest, I really don't care. (laughs) I guess I ask because in so many ways, you know, I think there's a mystery to Seji. You know, like you obviously, you know, were part of this amazing group that, you know, really broke the mold. You came to the game with this interesting and distinct a rhyme scheme, and there's not like I don't think there's a lot that's known about you. So that's why I asked that. Like you know, you're almost a mystery, at least you know to to real hip hop heads who want to hear more, or see more. They're like, man, what's up with said G? What's he doing? I got you. I just understand the two sides of life. There's a public and a private. Mm-hmm. So when I'm in the public, I'm in the public. When I'm not, it's it's private. Right. So. I think that's the part that mystifies, you know, because it's hard to be private in a pub in a in a public business. Right, right, and so much of that is gone today, right? Yeah, and especially today with the excess access. Mm-hmm. I like that excess access. Yeah, it's like it's excess, like you know, somebody somebody sees you getting out of a car, they they're posting it. You know? So you may not want the world to know you're in Tokyo, but somebody in Tokyo is like, hey, I just saw Saji. Look, he's <laughs> going into the restaurant. <laughs> and your boss said, I thought you said your back was hurting. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what so what do you think about where we are today, man? I just mentioned that obviously, you know, you you guys were so distinctive and really brought that lyrical gamemanship into the culture, into the genre. And in many ways, it seems like we've kind of, I don't know, it seems lyrically we've kind of gone backwards. Like you would think hip hop started as this, this thing that was a powerhouse that was so elevated and then it seems like we've gone backwards over the past 30 yeah. years what do you think you know you hit it on the nose why though why do you think that is i mean we shouldn't we have grown like shouldn't this be like if you were doing space age stuff in the 80s like if you were doing space age stuff in the 80s shouldn't we like be in another universe now yeah but we went from we left forget space age they they came back to the crib to the baby crib <laughs> It totally went backward uh, because it had too much influence. There's mm. never been music. There's never been a music on this plane that mm. had the power of that. You know, rock and roll was the closest, but that was just America and Europe. Mm-hmm. You know, hip hop, you had skinheads, mm. people, you know, dressing like hip hop and stores in Japan dedicated, you know, it was just a phenom and because the spearhead of it were, you know, urban society, young men and women who they've been doing horrific things to mm-hmm. and they have, you know, show the world that these people live a certain way. So they had to destroy it and make it like where you said it, from where it was going to different levels, they had to make it like, look at these buffoons, mm. you know. You know, they took it the other way. So what do you think about where we are now, man? Just culturally, you know, it seems, and, and I'm, I am impressed, um, really beyond impressed at how the youth have have really stood up and made a statement and continue to make a statement like I don't think I've seen in my lifetime. Do you think we're finally going to start seeing some real change? No, this has happened throughout history. So. Mm. This burning, the marching, all this stuff has happened before. Mm-hmm. They do a couple of cosmetic things and then it's business as usual. Mm. So we've been here you know we had the LA riots you had so much so it's, so it's nothing new nothing is new it's just the same script it's how they've been handling finances and it's business as usual for them mm. let them think that they're going to step ahead then they turn around and they five steps back see what I find funny is now that all the people who look like myself, who were lying to people saying, oh, it's all good. And, you know, they're hiding now because, you know, even, even the other side is saying, hey, you know, this is messed up, you know. So it's it's a combination, like I said, being stripped of your nationality mm-hmm. and then people who look like you turning their backs on you. Mm. So it's a combination. You know, like the whole thing with the with the football player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kaepernick. You had 
Yeah, you had guys, you know, his colleagues speaking against them. Mm. And now, once again, those people who spoke against him, they're silent. Right. See, it's something they didn't have to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But they made sure they spoke out against it to get them some, some brownie points. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Until that changes, nothing's going to change. It's, it's, you know. I hear you, man. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my, keeping my hopes up, man. I think, uh, I think change eventually has to come, and I'm, I'm hoping that this uh, is. Uh, change this is will it. come, right? Change will come, but this isn't it. See, see, first you got to realize, like I'm saying, to be a people, you have to be a people. Mm. People come from the land, so where is the colored land? Mm. So you gotta understand what this country is. It's a corporation. United States is a corporation operating on the soil of America. So what they did is they set up a system of called volunteer employees, aka known as Fourteenth Amendment citizens, mm. who have no rights, they have privileges. Now, this has been working because they gave one class of slaves more privileged than the other. So, but once again, it's like I said, where's the colored land? Where the hell is white land? Mm-hmm. See, they're all statuses. There's no such thing as a white person. I've never seen somebody to color my t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Just like I've never seen somebody to color my black sneakers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're statuses. They're statuses. They remove people's birthrights and nationalities. And that's why they're subjected these things and like I said it worked because they gave one more privilege than the other mm. but now that the economy was kind of collapsing and then now even though they're not abusing them they're writing as many tickets for the so called privileged ones as they are for the other everybody's seeing where this is heading so it, it might be a change but people got to realize you have to be a people. Mm. It's as white and black. Mm-hmm. If you're German, you come from Germany. If you come, you know, if you're American, you're American. You're not white or black. Mm. So we've given up our nationalities to be called brand. See, like I said, you got a, a sneaker. It's a Nike sneaker, mm-hmm. but it's but it's black. Mm. We're no longer calling it a Nike. We're just calling it the adjective mm. black. An adjective is a person. I mean, uh, is a is a, a describer. It's not a noun. It's not a person. It's a thing. So we we've removed the noun and we're just now describing people as adjectives. And and it's a system that works because they found that if you play it right. You, you can get money as an adjective. So that's why I won't change. There's nothing in any law for adjectives. Mm. Whether it be God's law, man's law, common law, there is nothing written for adjectives. And that's why when these things, you know, happen over and over again. That's deep. That's why, you know, it's just something that's been done before. This isn't nothing new. So, I've seen this movie already. Right, right. <laughs> it's the same. Cosmetic change and same things happen.
It would be like you don't hope that it changes. No question. What is it going to take to finally get to a place where people aren't divided? Well, that's a that's the ultimate question. You know, the ultimate question. That's something history you have to figure out. That is true. That is true. Because like, because there's a lot of factors to that. You know, a lot of factors. Because it's hard, it's hard for somebody to give something up mm. when they know they have nothing to fall back on. Mm. So, what is it going to take? Who knows? But at a time, like you said, nothing lasts forever, so it will change. No question. This when? Well, I hope I get to see it. Hey, hey. <laughs> but uh, that's what I'm saying. What we're doing, we're actually doing the real work. That's why we'll have no commercialization. You know, we forgot the basic fundamental quote that still stands today by Gil Scott Harrison. The revolution will not be televised. So if it's televised, that means it's packaged, mm. coordinated, part of the plan, because they give you the problem, the answer, the solution. I was thinking this whole thing with the virus, you know, they said the CARES Act was an emergency act. Mm-hmm. Then I found out the shit was passed last year in January. Mm. <laughs> so all this is a plan. And you know it's planned, and you know it's not people in these neighborhoods doing these things. Because what kind of strategy is that? I'm ready to have a, a rebellion, so let's burn, let's let's burn down all of our resources. <laughs> you know, in war, you're supposed to burn down your opponent's resources. You know, you supposed to have a blockade against them. Yeah? Mm. That's what they they're blockading themselves. What kind of dumb shit is that? That's crazy. Yeah, exactly. This is how you know it's them sending in people to do that and disguising it. Because I see these people marching in Harlem. I don't recognize none of them. Mm. And, you know, as you know, Harlem is not uh, brown anymore. Right. It's, it's, It's damn near predominantly, you know, of the other persuasion. Mm. I didn't recognize anybody. Wow. And the people don't even look like they're from New York. Interesting. It is what it is. So moving on to something a little bit more upbeat, tell me about the new project, man. When is the album going to drop? What's it called? And what should we expect from it? Uh, well, variety is what to expect. Mm. You know, we got, like from you know, what you would consider classic to what the kids are doing, you know, we show that we can do it all. I don't know exactly what to name the album yet because we've been so locked in on, you know, the video and the single and all that. Nice. Looking forward to that. Like the old videos, you know, entertainment. Not the same old, you know, champagne and the girls in the 
clad or the bunch of dudes standing on the corner. You know, the regular stuff that videos became. And are you doing some of the production or? Yeah, yeah. Nice. So what's in your arsenal as far as production goes? What are you using? I use a machine now. Oh, okay, okay. The machine is this another another monster. It's like they even got a SB12 setting. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's so crazy what you can do in there. Like, it, it's scary. It's scary. I learned how to, you know, like if you got a sample and a, and there's a hi-hat in the middle, you can remove it. I mean, it's, it's, it's just some amazing things you can mm. do. I mean, <laughs> it's just not a monster. And that that's, will that always be your preference, though, like having that tactile experience? Because obviously there are a lot of producers that are just strictly on the computer. But do you feel more comfortable or more in your zone actually having a machine, like an actual physical thing in front of you? Yeah. I hear you. At some point, some point, I got to hit some pads. Right, right. I, I could use the software on the screen, but at some point, I got to be able to hit some pads. Right. I feel like I'm trying, <laughs> trying to do some kind of music. Either. And what would you say was your favorite machine out of all the 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 machines that you've used? I don't mean mashing, like actual drum machines you've used throughout the years. Which was your favorite? Ah. Uh, Gotta say the SP. SP, wow. Because like uh the formula was so quick. Mm-hmm. Like you can do things quick, you know. And dirty, right? Yeah. Something to be said about dirty, right? That yeah, but that's never been a problem. Like mm-hmm. dirty is no matter what I use, it all sounds the same. Right. So that never was a problem, the sound. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it was function, you know, like mm-hmm. how fast can I maneuver from here to there? Mm. You know, actually, actually the way the technology is now is even faster. Because mm-hmm. you can literally just look at the graph. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, once you know the graph is like, you know, it's like cheating. Mm-hmm. Do you still have a, a 12? Nah. Nah. Recently sold by MP to a collector mm. two which, years ago. Which MP? MPC? MPC, my MPC too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I did a lot of things on there. So this guy, he collects. He has a, my MP has Pete Rocks on too. Wow. So he's got him a great investment. That's amazing. Yeah, because see what what art doesn't become art until you give it up. Right, right, true. Yeah. Somebody has to appreciate it. Exactly, mm-hmm. Picasso paintings. If somebody didn't buy them, mm-hmm. would have no would have no value. People would love them, but it would have no value. Right, right, true. But once once somebody appreciates it. You know, people are like, oh, you should have held on to it. And like, mm, maybe, but it's something that you want somebody who will take care of it. Like right. If you leave it to the kids, they put it in the corner, it gets dusted up, and mm-hmm. it breaks. 
That's right. So you give it to a person who's going to appreciate it. That's right. Say, hey, look, and it still works. That's dope. If you could give advice, or maybe this is you giving advice to someone that is, is aspiring to do some of the things that you've done in your career to produce iconic records, to become part of history, what kind of advice, what kind of advice would you give that young person? Find the lane. See, because whether you like track or not, it's another lane. Somebody found it. Right. And now everybody's copying, like you say, so why don't you create the next track? You, you understand? There's always the next. You know, and that's what it's about. Find the lane. Mm-hmm. Find the lane. Make it yours. That is definitely a good piece of advice. Yeah, because it's always been lanes. Whether it was New Jack Swing, lanes. Mm. Who's creating the lanes? You know, there was the mixtape. You right. know, another one. You know, people create lanes. People who create a lane, they, they, you know, it's pretty successful. Well, that's good advice, man. Whereas everybody else, even if they're successful, they just become an also ran. Yeah, they're replaceable, right? Yeah, because when the errors look back at, they look at the the inventor of it. This guy invented track. This guy invented New Jack Swing. This guy created, you know, the the club scene. Mm -hmm. This guy created reggae thong. Right. It's always, you know, Donna Summers was the queen of disco. That's right. There's always, you know, the lane creators and and the after it. That is true. You got to be an innovator too, right? Yeah. Some people are comfortable with just, I want to do what he or she did. You know, that that works. And ironically, that could also be lucrative, right? Yeah. That's the irony. Oh, the irony is if you find that lane, right, it's beyond lucrative. Because mm. now everybody's chasing you. True, true. You know, it's, it's a gamble. That is true. Wouldn't say a gamble is a leap of faith. Mm, I like that. You're stepping out there. Words of wisdom. Well, that's dope. Said man, I want to thank you so much for your time and for sharing a little bit about your history. And I'm looking forward to this new project. Yeah. Thanks, man. Oh, thank you, man. 